Tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the latest in a series of leaks. 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these breaches in excess of $20 billion. Hello and welcome back to Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday American. I'm your friendly neighborhood cyberman, Jacob Asida, and I'm joined as always by Dayton Williams. Jacob, it's so good to see you. It's good to see you as well. Oh, this weather is lovely, don't you think? I don't know why you're insisting on talking about the weather. You don't like talking about the weather? It's, the it's amazing. No. It's so hot all the time. Now it's not hot all the time. This is uh, quality TV. This week, we are exploring the complex architecture that allows our data to move between networks around the world. Specifically, we're going to focus on the device at the center of it all, the humble network router. When you send an email to a friend across a district, how far does it really go? How many places does it stop at first? And what security implications are there to a functioning global network like ours? So, stick a paperclip on the side, count to three, and let's start off our conversation about routing with a newsworthy router-related outage that happened recently. Well, this wasn't any old outage. It was a YouTube outage. Last Sunday, the third most visited website in the world with over 1 million unique users was out of commission for over two hours in some places. Unbearable. Yeah, Jacob, did you experience the outage at all? I did, yes. It was it was quite the torment, actually. I'd just gotten home and was hoping to relax to a lovely... Uh, cat know, video. Lovely cat, <laughs> well, it's more baking videos, but anyway. Oh, yeah, right on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually had the outage, too. I was laying in my bed, and I was also watching baking videos. As we all do. <laughs> um, and the uh, this error message. And so I, I was like, well, this is probably me. And, you know, I checked my internet. And now I go to the... There's a website that you can go to called Is It Down Right Now? where it'll check if it's the website's problem or if it's your problem. And lo and behold, there's some kind of issue with the network at YouTube. Yeah. I, at first, I thought it was an issue with the router as well here, and I started fiddling with that. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just kind of surprising to even think that YouTube would be down. Right, right. It's such a huge website. Mm-hmm. And the worst part is this happened on accident. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't even a hack or an inside job, but a mistake caused by the Pakistani government. An ISP named the Pakistan Telecom accidentally identified itself to the world internet as the fastest route to YouTube servers. So when a local in Foggy Bottom tried to pull up YouTube, their request was routed to routers across the world in Pakistan. Because the Pakistan company was one of the world's 20th largest internet service providers, that redirection requested was granted and published to the international data carrier with little verification. Once the error was published, it spread to most or all of the internet very quickly. For a while, Pakistan Telecom was filtering all traffic to YouTube from everyone who visited the site. Then things took a turn. After a trailer for an upcoming anti-Islamic film appeared on YouTube, Pakistan decided to block the video sharing site until the content was taken down. But instead of the block only covering Pakistan, it covered two-thirds of the global internet population. The critical connection that Pakistan shared with YouTube's servers was met with an error message. And the next thing you know, all access to YouTube is gone. Now, misrouting due to errors is not entirely uncommon, and this isn't even the first time Pakistan has inadvertently blocked all of YouTube. I mean, in 2008, the site was also taken offline throughout the Middle East due to a similar error surrounding a ban by Pakistan. As we often say, people are what are behind these systems, and it's the humans that often make the mistakes. Pakistan didn't mean to block all of YouTube while censoring the platform, but it did. The YouTube outage speaks to the difficulty of, for countries to filter or censor internet content in a vacuum. Sometimes there are spillover effects for the global internet. 
And the takeaway is that our networks are connected in ways we don't always anticipate, and unexpected routing paths can lead to disastrous results. But how does routing impact security? Most of the time, route hijacking is unintentional, but there has been growing attention towards malicious router misuse. Earlier this year, the United States and the UK, in a joint statement, claimed that Russian state-sponsored hackers are beginning to hack routers in order to harvest data. Routers are, of course, high-value targets for attacks. The networking devices serve as a middleman in network operations and serve as the gatekeepers to all kinds of valuable traffic. Think how much information you send through your router at home, work, or school. Banking info, personal photos, cat videos, the list goes on. But not only are routers important, they also make for easy targets. There are tons of different models and makes for routers, and supporting security systems for all of these devices make consistent security a persistent challenge. Besides hacking, controls of routers can manifest itself in various ways. What could stop a country intentionally redirecting routing to a black hole like Pakistan accidentally did? If a country, or company for that matter, wanted to damage competition or silence voices, routing would be an easy way to do it. Ideally, routing data should seek an efficient path to make a final connection. What if data, though, was intentionally sent circuitously to routers to slow down transmission? If a company could influence routing, they could allow for faster routing to higher-paying customers, even. A quick addendum. If you'd like to know more about network security, rewind back to episode 11, where uh, we talked to... Tamara Rafai. Kamara Rafai. Thank you, Professor Kamara Rafai of George Washington University about network security and, and networking and, and kind of this whole system, because we're, we, we're going to talk about it at length right now. And so if you're curious about some of the terminology, give us an old listen to our previous younger, uh, less jaded selves and mm-hmm. uh, give that a listen. Cool. I think first thing I want to touch on was mainly the idea that we don't actually all see the same Internet. Mm-hmm. For some of you, this is obvious, but for others, it's actually kind of shocking. Right. So is you know, routing going to lead to a sort of balkanization of the internet as a whole? You know, will the Middle East segment itself from almost all of the routing of the Western countries? It's unlikely. Right. But there is like a a normative question here. If Pakistan, for instance, uh, feels that anti-Islamic content should be censored and it is a norm that is it's done, then the companies that operate in Pakistan will change their behaviors and adapt to the country that they're operating in. And if that's a regional thing, then in a way, just by uh, censoring content and the spillover effects of it, they can create and influence internet within their borders. I mean, right. You kind of already have an example of it with China as it is, who already censors content based off of you know what, they're, what they view as appropriate and what they don't. And while that doesn't necessarily affect you know, us here in the United States, it has affected Google's operation there. So right. this raises the question of saying, perhaps if uh, there's more pressure from other other international sources that actually outweighs almost Western view, how much are these companies going to cow to that? And then how much are they going to affect other people's, other countries' mm-hmm. ability to see things? Right. And I think the example with Pakistan at the beginning of the episode shows that it's super easy to censor people within your own country. It's very accessible. All kinds of countries do it. Um, and by extension, it's really easy to censor all of the internet. Um, through that very same means. Um, well, it doesn't last particularly long, though. Right, most, of course. Most routing mistakes like that, at, at that scale, are pretty mm-hmm. noticeable. Yeah. What, what is really at issue is these routing, these strange routings, as they were, when they're used for more malicious means, like espionage. For instance, there's a case of, in March 8th, 2015, there was, intermittently for about five days, communications from the U.S. to the U.K. were actually instead routed to Frankfurt, then to Kiev. 
then back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, this was entirely so that they could uh, go through a Russian transit provider, and basically all that information was spied upon. This was for this was traffic that was going to the UK atomic weapons establishment. So important. This isn't this isn't just your everyday information. No, this wasn't just everyday information. One of the main issues of routing, and it's the harder things to detect, are these issues where it's being a surreptitious mm-hmm. rerouting. Right. So um, other examples that I think are interesting to draw on here is the idea of the physical infrastructure of the Internet itself. Mm-hmm. People, you know, it's a vacuous idea of the Internet. People don't actually right. really think about these actual it's real like, wires. It's a thing, and it's a place in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, and I, going back to the Pakistan example, there are a lot of different ways where it, Internet infrastructure and damage to it have created difficulties with routing. Last month in September, there was a, a fiber line cut in the Mediterranean, and it severely dampened the communications between the African continent and India, mm-hmm. because there's not a direct route that goes from Africa to India. Mm-hmm. You have to route through Europe first. Oh, yeah. And so just that one infrastructure change forced their routing to have to go through a big path to get to India. And so if, you, if you're talking to a friend and you're in Ghana and you want to talk to your friend in Delhi, um, your traffic, your connection is way slower. You know, sometimes it happens in funny ways. There's this report of this woman in Georgia, not the state, but the country, who was digging for uh, copper, um, like old copper wire scavenging. It's the thing that happens in former Soviet republics uh, for, for money. And this woman's scavenging for copper, and she accidentally um, cuts the internet fiber line cable connecting Armenia to the rest of the world. And so for five hours, there was just no internet because this woman cut through it with a shovel. <laughs> I mean, well, that's I mean that's very funny, you know, the, just the idea of that. But if you think about it, it's also kind of terror, like terrifying. Right. You know, what if a, in like in a conventional sort of kinetic warfare, mm-hmm. somebody goes and targets the infrastructure of your communication lines, of internet communication lines? Yeah, exactly. Be, You'll be an island. Oh yeah. yeah, it'd be devastating. I mean, and I, I don't know exactly the laws that uh, that go over the protection of those. I assume that there are. Mm-hmm actually quite a few for that but uh, i'd be interested to have a guest on in the future to discuss sort of the limitations of targeting these sort of right, targets right. yeah and i know uh, when we talked about the talon manual a bit mm-hmm. with our guest from the atlantic council last yeah, episode yeah it would definitely fall under right. that we kind of talked about you know what is and what isn't civilian and so it, does any traffic that is military related go over these networks means that it's a military target maybe you know it's hard to say it's hard to say uh, I am pleased to say that the 75-year-old woman who cut the fiber was brought in for questioning, and she was released. They didn't give her any jail time because she was so old. So that's a oh, happy, yeah. happy, oh, happy, happy ending. <laughs> happy ending. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, and I don't think she got her copper, though. <laughs> well, that's just unfair. <laughs> All right. And, uh, any any uh, lingering thoughts? Routing is really important. It, we have this web. like It's called a web for a reason. There's this large, complex um, connections of different people's homes and devices. And in a lot of ways, it is the, like, it's the blood vessels, it's the capillaries that push our economy forward. It pushes, like, information shared between people. It's truly an incredible man-made world wonder. It truly is. It's one of the first lines in terms of, you know, you're talking about, like, network security and, Mm -hmm. you know, just whenever you're talking about exploits computers, it's, like, the bare level of things. Right. These are the joints that hold the web together. Mm -hmm. And um, the process of routing... Uh, can be abused. And I think they can be abused really successfully and pretty easily. And so I think we need to change the way we see these objects that are around us all the time. You know, I'm sure people listening, 
you know, they might hit their router with a stick or like uh, shake it when their internet's down, reset it, unplug it, replug it. But like these devices are the gateway mm-hmm. to our connection to the in, the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and it it's incredible to think about that that much access and that much. Like accessibility to the rest of the world is just sitting over there on a table, blinking at us with a green light. One might even call them the default gateway. Sorry, that was a terrible <laughs> joke for anyone who gives a shit. Uh... <laughs> so, as we've already seen, there's a lot of issues that have to deal with routing on, you know, between ISPs and on the big leagues sort of routing. But what about routing within your own home? Well, let's give you some ideas about some router tips and tricks that you actually can look at for yourself. Jacob and I are going to run through a few things that you can do to uh, protect your router from being exploited. And it's like a couple things uh, really boiling down to just what we've talked about time and time again, just digital hygiene. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things, so this is just some at-home stuff that you can do for yourself. So a compromised router means that every device connected to it is vulnerable. It is the hub of, of which all devices on your network connect to. So when it's compromised, it's a pretty big deal. Hackers can identify other vulnerable devices, read your configurations, map your internal networks, harvest passwords, impersonate administrators, spy, and redirect traffic. And a lot of what the FBI and the other U.S. intelligence services have been um, saying is that a lot of this traffic on on your routers have been redirected into Russia so they can be scanned and looked at and and gleaned for information. So one of the first things you can do to uh, fight back from this kind of routing is update your firmware. Firmware, uh, for those of you who do not know, is kind of the embedded software that operates a router or any kind of computer. It's kind of the code that makes it run. It's easy to update your firmware. All you have to do is go to your browser, be it Firefox or Google Chrome or Internet Explorer, and you go online and you find your router's admin page. There, you can find relevant updates that you can download and then install. And this can be done, this should be done every three months. Wall Street Journal did a report on routing updating on firmware, and they found that out of the top 20 brands, 6 out of 20 had their up-to-date firmware. So that's a pretty bad score, 6 out of 20. It's pretty important to even do the simple step of changing your router's password. Many people, I'm surprised to see just how many, go with the default password. Even if it is somewhat randomly generated on the back of your router, you are better off setting your own password. Even something like turning off remote administration, which is easy to do through the, again, administrative page in the router settings, as we just discussed. Right. And remote administration is essentially that thing that tech support can use. So if, you're, if they're in, across the country, they can operate your mouse and move your, move your computer while you're sitting there watching and it looks like a ghost is moving it. Um, that is something that can be enabled and disabled. So an important thing to know is to turn off that remote administration. Uh, another thing, which uh, is also super common, is you can just create and enable a guest network. You know, um, it's pretty simple. You you could buy another Wi-Fi router, but you know you don't have to do that. That's expensive. Most machines now have a standard feature where you can enable a guest option for people who come to your place or come to your place of business. Um, and so, segregating your devices from your guests is another layer of protection that you can use to uh, protect yourself. And this isn't even something that's out of the ordinary. In fact, most businesses and companies do the same thing. So does the government. There's segregated networks that are for different uses and different levels of sensitivity to help prevent access. So, the, you know, your guest network is obviously your most vulnerable network, so you don't want to put anything of importance on it. And lastly, simply rebooting during an active hack can temporarily disrupt the malware, even help identify the infected devices. It's, again, it's a place where you're going to be able to use to identify what's happening a little bit more. 
Right. And when all else fails, just hit your router with a big rock. That'll always fix it. (laughs) Some of the last things to really take home about this is just how easy it is to hack a router. Using a port scanner can identify a router's home address from really anywhere. Then it's easy to use your web browser to go to that address and log in. A lot of tools exist already for people to easily exploit vulnerable networks. But what if some of the vulnerabilities don't even have to do with the firmware? Some of the vulnerabilities could exist within your router by how the router itself was made in ways you can't even deal with. One of the biggest problems that we're facing here is the idea of supply chain management, which is a topic we'd like to get into in a future date just because of how important it is. Right. But a lot of routers, especially about where they're produced, could actually indicate if they have built-in vulnerabilities. Think about who's probably the number one country producing router components. And now think about some of those same countries probably are the ones who are redirecting or looking at your traffic. Not that we're pointing any fingers or naming any names. We're not. (laughs) And going back to changing your Wi-Fi password from the default setting, all of the default passwords on any router are available online. You know, the manufacturers put these out for administrators to and, and sellers to modify them before they're put to market. And so all of these passwords are just online. If you just look up your, your router ID and your router, your router information, you could Google that and the password will come up. So it's really, really important to change your router password uh, from the default setting. And so when we hear uh, about these intelligence agencies saying that uh, Russian-affiliated hackers have compromised hundreds of thousands of networks, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think, well... That's probably because a lot of people just don't have a password to begin with. We'll join us again for our next episode within about two weeks. Also, make sure to recommend Decrypted to your friends if you're ever interested in learning more. Recommend it to your workplace uh, associates, especially those who don't seem to understand anything about cybersecurity. This will be very helpful for them. Follow us on Twitter. You know, and just keep uh, keep talking about the podcast. We always yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, and like and give us a re- review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out, gets uh, our message across. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Decrypted is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1433425 for the CyberCorps program at the George Washington University. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation. (laughs) 